Have you ever heard the term psychological safety and wondered if your workplace is psychologically safe? Or are you wondering if you perhaps are in a psychologically not safe workplace? I think I said that right. Then you will want to tune into today's call because we are talking to Ruth Ann Weeks about psychological safety in the workplace. Welcome to the Surviving to Thriving podcast that helps women leaders in nonprofits get out of survival mode and thrive in both leadership and life. I'm your host, leadership development coach, Kathy Archer, and I help women leaders enjoy impactful leadership. Ruth Weeks is a cultural change strategist and principal consultant at Harmony in the Workplace. She is a change agent whose efforts have helped to bring the importance of an abuse-free work environment to the forefront of public awareness. She's a best-selling author and gifted speaker who delivers a powerful message about today's workplace culture. Ruth Ann is a certified psychological safety advisor and specializes in diversity and inclusion, workplace bullying, sexual harassment, domestic violence, and mental health in the workplace. In today's episode, we talk about what it is, psychological safety, and listen because Ruth Ann talks about the difference between psychological safety and psychological health, and they are both critically important for you as a leader in a nonprofit. We also touch on some of the 13 components of psychological safety and what you can do as a leader to create that safe environment for the people you work with so that you can get out of that toxic environment and move to thriving. Let's transition into the show. Welcome to the podcast, Ruth Ann. I'm so excited to have you here as we talk about psychological safety in the workplace because I know that many people don't feel safe in workplaces and they may not have thought about it that way, but I know we'll dive into that a little bit more. First, tell everybody a little bit about yourself, about the work you do and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Kathy. I'm really excited to be here. I founded my business Harmony in the Workplace in 2016, having found myself unexpectedly unemployed after being bullied out of my position in a very covert, underhanded manner working in the nonprofit sector. I founded my business in 2016 in just months after being finding myself in that situation. And I'm very, very passionate about helping to reach those that are in those toxic work environments so that they don't feel so isolated and alone. Ideally, though, I really want to work with the organizations to create organizational cultures of psychological safety and support where violence and harassment, bullying, sexual harassment, those types of issues can't take hold to begin with. Wouldn't that be ideal, right? Yes. Yes. Because again, as I said, I don't think people know it until sometimes it's too late. You know what? I didn't recognize it for what it was while it was happening to me. I mean, I knew it was a toxic work environment and I knew I didn't fit in, but I didn't recognize it as covert bullying. And that's the thing about covert bullying. You know, it all happens kind of behind closed doors. And often the target doesn't know what's happening until there are ramifications or repercussions. And for me, I ended up getting fired from that job within three months. Can you give us an example of I'm, yeah, I mean, I know you can't tell the whole story, but like what, what happened without the details, <laughs> what were some of the things that were happening for you, you know, um, were people lying, were people calling you names? Like what, what is bullying? 
Yeah, well, you know, that bullying is, is uh, there are lots of different ways that people can bully. But my personal story is that I was brought into a nonprofit uh, organization that as a middle manager, I was a director, and it was the next sort of, tr- you know, progression in my career path. And I very strategically sought out a position because I left a job that I loved working with people that I loved in a much smaller organization where there were just, there was just nowhere for me to grow and stretch. And I was really craving that. And so I was very strategic and I thought careful about choosing a place. And the first mistake I made was I assumed because there wasn't uh, a lot of turnover for decades that it was a great place to work, that people were staying there. (laughs) (laughs) And so what happened was there was a couple of directors that were retiring and they combined those into another director position, brought me in. They were careful in their selection as well. And I found out my first day on the job that the executive director who brought me in and did my interview was retiring as well in Mm. three months. And there was another peer director who um, she was in her 70s. And she wasn't involved in my hiring process, which was mistake number one, uh, because she was staying on for the good of the organization. And she never got to know me. She made lots of assumptions about me. Um, She didn't trust me. She didn't like me. And, you know, once I came on board and joined that organization, the executive director, I don't know. I mean, there was no communication. It was a very sort of rigid, authoritative culture, uh, which I don't thrive in anyway. Uh, You know, I'm very relational and you know, there's a certain set of expectations that comes with being a director. You know, I I was head of my department, the people working under me were great, you know, they really got the vision and I didn't go in, you know, trying to create a lot of change. That's not very smart. Uh, you know, so I, I just went in carefully. But the executive director, I don't know if she was ill or what was going on, but she rarely showed up to the office after mm-hmm. that. I may have seen her in the three months I was there in the office. I may have seen her eight or 10 times. That was right. it. Right. No right. communication. Communication mm-hmm. is so important. Well, I was going to say, I've heard you talk about assumptions, communication, uh, what was the other one that oh, relationships, you know, all of these key factors that I know when we cover what psychological safety is are going to come into play. Yeah. And for me, the rigid authoritative culture just was not a good fit for me. I was trying to figure out in my head how to fit in better. I have ulcerative colitis, which flared and it had been dormant for years. I'd been well. And then just because of the stress, yeah. uh, you know, so much of our uh, disease in our body is because of that stress effect. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So for me, when I did end up getting let go, as devastated as I was, because this was my shiny new opportunity, I was relieved because I knew it was a bad fit and it was making me sick. And my hand was forced to make a change. And here we are. And I think that happens a lot of times that forced to make the change. And I think you're right. If we can switch organizations. So Maybe first they start to change the toxic to what I call thriving cultures or magnetic cultures, but also so that we can prevent it from happening. Because sometimes there is, I was talking to somebody the other day, but we need to coach some people out the door. It's not a good fit. Um, Mm -hmm. Some people are past the point of they should have left 20 years ago. So there's lots of stuff going on. 
And yeah, we got to learn how to run these organizations better. And so you know that psychological safety is one of the foundational pieces. Tell us what is psychological safety first? Psychological safety is creating that environment where it's safe to take interpersonal risk in expressing thoughts, opinions, ideas, in failing forward, you know, in making mistakes and uh, not being reprised for those mistakes, in, in reporting near misses, just for the simple process of learning from them and creating those efficiencies and correcting those systems so that they can't happen again. And th- it's absolutely the breeding ground for innovation. That's where, you know, new ideas come from. And it doesn't mean that every idea is a winner. I mean, you know, yeah. that saying there's no dumb ideas. Well, who's heard a dumb idea? Yeah, you know, yeah. I've heard a dumb I, idea. I've brought them up. <laughs> well, that's what I, yes, of course. And I've done that as well. You know, you're in, you're in a, a brainstorming session and you're, you know, you're spitballing ideas around and, and I've, you know, I've said something that I quickly knew wasn't going to work for one reason or yeah, another, yeah. but it doesn't mean that I was being, you know, chastised for bringing it up or being made fun of, or, you know, getting the eye rolls or whatever else, you know, so much of our communication is also body language. We have to be aware of that as well. Right. And uh, that's can be sometimes the passive aggressive bullying that's, that's occurring. I just realized, and I I hesitate to say this because there are a variety of reasons, but keeping your camera off on zoom calls might also be some of that passive aggressiveness. It could be, but you know, in these times, you know, it's not like I hesitate to say that, but what I also realize is there's times where people, so I've had some clients recently who are having some really difficult conversations and some of them one-to-one with their supervisor. So why is your camera not on, right? When we're one-to-one and we're, we're in those situations, there might be a little bit more going on behind the scenes. There could be. Um, it, it could be because they don't feel safe. Maybe there's a mess in the background. Yeah. Maybe, you know, they've had a rough night and they've been up with a sick child and they're, they're not looking their best, you know? So, yeah. so that just to flip the switch on that, oh, yeah, yeah, that's it, a, yeah. It, it might not be them, you know, remaining at arm's length because you can't connect, you know, and in a one-on-one, if, if they have that safe, environment you know they 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 should be in an environment where even if they have been up with a kid all night you know they can just say oh I've got my I'm gonna leave my camera Camera off today because I'm just not camera ready and I'm just not feeling it in which case that should be allowed right yeah and that's the honesty piece right which which again so you said psychological safety is that that ability to be honest right say those things that you need to say so the other client I was talking to the other day they have this, you know, issue in their organization that everybody's overwhelmed and Zoom fatigue and change, you know, everything's going on. So they're saying to people, don't work late, take care of yourselves. And yet people aren't. And they're wondering like, well, what's going on? And and this individual is, you know, on the management team. And then she comes to a coaching call and she's exhausted and she's drained and she's just not all there. And there's lots going on in her personal life. And she's been working too many hours and, you know, and she's not comfortable saying that to the team. Yeah. Well, isn't that interesting that you're saying we're a safe place and you, as one of the leaders, don't feel safe admitting, telling your boss that you need a day off. Yeah. So how does the support disconnect, feel? right? And yeah. that's why that's why the culture piece is so important. You know, I I, I encourage organizations to really 
I mean, if this COVID disruption has done anything, it's given us all cause to pause and sort of really evaluate what is important to us, right? What is important? So, you know, I, I advise organizations to really give some thought about what kind of vision they have for their organization. What are their, what are their core values? And, you know, if, if family and life balance, you know, it used to be work-life balance. Well, now those lines are completely blurred. So, you know, if life balance and having a well-balanced workforce, that's psychologically healthy, just to, um, I'll come back to that. The difference between psychological health and psychological safety. Oh, okay. Um, Okay. So remind me, if you say that's one of your values, but you're not feeling safe to not work those 12 hour days or take time off on the weekend or, you know, spend time with your family and take care of yourself, then that is a disconnect. So you can say that you value one thing, but if it's not showing up, culture is just the the way we do things here. It's the way day-to-day business is done. So if if there's a disconnect between what you say you believe, but the day-to-day way things are running, that's a problem. So what's the difference between psychological safety and psychological health? Psychological health is you doing what you can do and I do what I can do to bring my best self to the workplace. Okay, so I'm getting lots of rest whatever I need for my body. I'm eating nutritious food in an unhurried way. I'm getting exercise. I'm getting fresh air. I'm doing whatever resonates with me as self-care to take care of myself so that I'm psychologically healthy. Now, psychological safety is an organizational responsibility. It's creating that environment of trust where people, like I said, can bring their whole selves to work, where they can fail forward. And what happens is, you know, and where there's no abuse occurring. And what happens is someone can take the best care of their own psychological health as they can, but they're not going to be able to maintain it in an organization that is not psychological safety because it erodes that sense of well-being. Okay. So I know that there are 13 components of psychological safety. I don't know if you want yeah. to them all or what are the top ones? What do you want to cover out of those? Well, we don't have time to, to dig into yeah. them all, but you know, it, and they're, they're a set of voluntary guidelines, 13 psychosocial factors that make up psych- psychological safety by the Canadian Mental Health Commission. And they're simple things like some of them are, uh, takes a little more implementation, but some of them are very simple, like recognition and reward, for example. So that is just simply making sure that you recognize employees for for their contribution to the team. And every single employee makes a contribution to the team, right? And that you reward them in a way that resonates with them. Sometimes, you know, it might just be an extra personal day a year or, you know, getting a gift card to something that, you know, they love. It might even be as simple as their favorite treat or something like that the the certificate printed off on the (laughs) yeah yeah I mean you know maybe hey some people might really enjoy a a title or being recognized that way but my point is to ask them you know give them options what what would make you feel rewarded what would make you feel recognized Mm -hmm. so rather than just assuming one size fits all you know you ask them what it is that that resonates with them civility and respect is one of the 13 psychosocial factors civility is really just a fancy name for speaking to someone in a rude or abrupt manner and and and, you know being that sort of that sort of person um, who is just nasty. Yeah, and yeah. what can happen is if incivility is left to repeat over time, then it can create that bullying 
uh, behavior uh, because bullying is really um, just harassment that occurs over a period of time, three to six months, you know, if you, you know, have that culture where respectful communication is expected, not as a thin veneer over a toxic environment or toxic intent, uh, because that's another thing that can happen. But if it's just really the way that we speak to each other is is kind and respectful. I worked with a client once who came to me and said, well, what's happening is uh, stressed, people are stressed and communications are getting confused with harassment. And so doing the work that I do, my mind automatically flipped that. It's probably harassing verbiage that is being excused because of stress Oh, because it doesn't take any more time to speak kindly to someone than it does to speak harshly. That's just the fact. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a choice that sometimes we're not making consciously. Exactly. And that's the other, you know, I always say that, you know, during elevated times of stress, we need to be we need to express an extra measure of grace <laughs> with each other, especially, you know, during these times and everybody has a bad day and everybody might snap, you know, this is not about creating some sort of facade that's, that's sunny all the time. It's about being human and, and being able to say, I'm sorry, you know, if you do step over that line. You know, but it's what you said earlier about psychological health and psychological safety. I do a lot of work with my ladies around taking care of yourself. Self-care is not selfish. You need to take care of yourself so that you can maintain your composure. And if you're going to lead with integrity, you darn well better be composed. Because you're right, we can all have a measure of grace sometimes when we mess up once or maybe twice. But when we're continually excusing our behavior because, well, we're in COVID and, you know, we've been working on Zoom and yeah, Yeah. it doesn't work that way. You need to take care of yourself. No, it doesn't. And I was sad to find out and and kind of surprised really that some people, you know, they don't even know what it is that resonates with them for self-care. They're not even sure what it is that does fill their cup and keep them from getting drained and, uh, you know, experiencing that stress and burnout. And so, you know, I encourage people if they if they're not sure, think about a time where you were doing an activity and you just that's not work (laughs) and you just lost track of time and, you know, you felt like you were in your element and you felt that sense of um, happiness. You know, I always say that all dogs are therapy dogs, you know, sometimes it's pets. Sometimes it's, you know, just taking time for yourself to go walk in nature and listen to music or dance. Kitchen dance parties have been a big part of my (laughs) self-care. Because I love, I love music. I love music. And I haven't been able to dance to a live band in many, many, many months now. It's interesting how many people I coach who have not turned music on in six months or more. Wow. And I'm like, really? I mean, sometimes they used to listen to it driving to work, but now they're at home and they don't turn music on. I'm like, Go yeah. turn some music on like now. <laughs> like, yeah. And I mean, you know, it's individual. Everybody has absolutely. things that resonate with them in a different way. But yeah, music yeah. is definitely one of them for me. Yeah. <laughs> so so I have a membership site. And in the membership site, the training library, I have a course called Wellness at Work. And it's interesting as you were talking, because I talk about the five fundamentals, eat, move, sleep, breathe, and feed your soul. 
And I talk about them in terms of wellness at work. What can you do in under a minute to feed your soul? What can you do in under one minute to move your body? You know, and those things, like you said, just a little bit of music in between Zoom calls is enough to bring you back your mood up, your energy up. And yeah, we need to be doing those things. Yeah, I know. Even if it's just, you know, taking five minutes and going and, and putzing around in your garden and yes. you know, just yes. getting outside, getting the sun on your face. And and uh, yeah, it's different for everybody, but absolutely to build that in. And it, it, it you know, sometimes you think, oh, well, I, I'm so busy. I don't have time. But it increases your productivity exponentially totally. when you do that totally. and you take care of yourself. And yeah, yeah I love that. Feed your soul. Yeah, yeah. that's that's well, the that's job can really become soul sucking really fast if you let it. Yeah, yeah it so, absolutely can. I think we've jumped on to my next question, but the next question is how can leaders create this culture, this psychological safe environment? So I'm thinking one of them is take care of yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Because you can't you can't lead and and lead others and serve from an empty cup, right? No. You have to you have to do that and model it, right? Model it yourself. Um, you know, one of the one of the psychosocial factors is to um, provide support to those that you come to know are struggling. And you know, we all have bad days. So as a leader, when a leader says, you know, I'm just not myself today, they may not have to share any more than that. You know, they don't have to, sometimes we don't even know what's going on. We just know that we're just kind of meh, you know, we all have those days. And when a leader is able to say that and well, that endears them Mm -hmm. to their team because it also gives them permission to also, you know, have those days. And, you know, we need to have that permission to have those days where, you know, we're still at work, we're doing our best, we're showing up, but we might not be quite as productive as we are other days. And, you know, that becomes a problem if it's repeated, you know, but uh, from an organizational perspective, if we can allow, like, again, that grace piece, have that grace to allow people to to have that day and express it and then receive support, you know, oh, I'm sorry, can I take this off your plate? Or if you can't get to that today, you know what, we'll work on it tomorrow. Um, And just have that, um, that willingness to uh, bring that human side, right? It's just so important. And I I really think that um, leadership is changing. Mm, Say more about that. Uh, Well, you know, the 21st century leader is uh, vulnerable. It used to be that leaders were never let them see you sweat, fake it till you make it, you know, be the boss kind of thing, right? And now I think the 21st century leader is, uh, they're setting the vision. They're the vision casters. That's what leadership is. It's not management, which is all the duties. It's it's casting that vision and helping people to reach their potential, but doing it from a place that is strong and brave. Mm -hmm. And because that's what it takes to be vulnerable. And I'm not talking about oversharing, you know, you don't want to lose, you don't want to lose that respect and credibility by oversharing all the time. But I just think it's really important for leaders to be relational. And you can't, you can't fake authenticity. (laughs) No. Okay. So one, I got to back up for a moment. I think it was you that I heard it from around I'm having an off day and that's enough and we don't need to overshare. So often leaders, one of their top character strengths is honesty. We want leaders with integrity. We want them to be honest, 
but you're right. What does sort of median honesty mean rather than too much? Like, oh, I'll share it all. Like I had a fight with my husband last night and things aren't going well and my stepson and we don't need all of that. It's just I'm having an off day. And yeah, I might not be my best self in this meeting. Period. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, that's, that's something you want to share with your team. If you've got a close friend or a closer colleague that you want to unpack some of the details, my husband's a jerk, blah, blah, blah. I've got teenagers (laughs) in the house that are driving me crazy, whatever that looks like, you know, that's one thing, but yeah, you don't, you know, you don't have to share all of that with the whole team. The other piece that I wanted to touch on was you said be human. Hmm. So I flip it. Does that mean part of a toxic culture and cultures that are unpsychologically safe? I don't think that's the right word, but have they dehumanized people? No. I mean, the last thing we want is to work with a bunch of robots too. Yeah. And, you know, our job in the workplace is not to make nasty humans nice. It's not. Ideally, we would love to work with people who are kind right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But not everybody is kind. That is a fact. Mm -hmm. You know, there's narcissists, there's sociopaths, there's psychopaths. These are disorders uh, that are very real. So our job is not to make nasty people nice. Our job within the workplace is to really be good and clear about setting that expectation, setting people up for success to work within that expected and prohibited conduct, right? And protecting people from being abused or harmed by those that think it's okay to do so. Yeah. So, you know, like I said, it, it, they, we can't change people. Only, only they can change themselves, right? But we can create that expected and prohibited workplace conduct, be very clear on what that is, put policies and procedures and prevention plans around that, train everybody on what they are, have them sign off as adhering to those. And then, you know, if they want to collect their paycheck, then they play within those rules. And sometimes that might mean that they need extra training around, um, you know, anger management, or they need extra training on how to self-regulate or even emotional intelligence training or whatever that might look like. But that's, that's, we're talking about the workplace where we actually have some authority on what we're willing to tolerate. Ooh, say that again. We actually have authority on what we're willing to tolerate. Yeah. And so, again, I flip that around and I think lots of times people don't think they can. They don't think that they can hold people accountable. Well, they can because, like you said, it's tied to their paycheck and then it's up to them. Um, Well, there's a couple of ways to look at that. Uh, It's tied to their paycheck. So from an HR perspective... Yeah, when yeah. you've done things the way I've outlined them and you have you make you make adhering to the policies and procedures around workplace safety mm-hmm. uh, a part of performance development or you know performance reviews yeah. so it's something that is refreshed you know it's brought up at every performance evaluation and and that's you know recommitted to and that way if someone has had the training and you've you know you've tried to get them to to adhere and they're just a toxic influence then it gives you the tools that you need to transition them out yeah yeah. And protect yeah. yourself from, you know, wrongful dismissal liability and that type of thing. Now, that being said, this is not something that happens at lower levels. This has to be top 
down initiated. We have to have strong, authentic, kind leaders at the top. Mm -hmm. And if you don't, and you try to instill any of this kind of stuff in lower ranks, but it doesn't affect the upper echelon or the C-suite, as we like to say, then it's not going to work because your whole your whole environment will just not be healthy. When it comes to organizational culture and creating those cultures of support and authenticity, it has to start at the top. There has to be top-down buy-in, but it's absolutely implemented bottom-up. Mm-hmm. And those a lot of times, especially in larger organizations, uh, you know, the C-suite might even not know what's happening at the lower level. So, so that, those lines of communication have to be open. And that's, you know, they're not going to, to be open unless it's done with intention because people won't feel safe to share. They'll think that, you know, that it's going to affect their career path. They're not going to get the promotion. They're going to be judged as, a, you know, someone who's rocking the boat or a troublemaker. And, you know, you don't want that in your organization. So what's a middle manager to do? Well, what's the scenario? What's happening with the middle manager? The middle manager is recognizing that... Maybe let's just go laterally. Maybe one of their peers is got a little, you know, there's like six group homes and one of the the leaders of one of the group homes is kind of toxic. The other peer sees it. They feel it at management meeting. There's that tension, but the upper boss isn't addressing it. Does the upper boss know about it? Yeah, but they like that person. That person's been around for years. They're buddies, you know. Has the person who's um, noticing it witnessed workplace abuse yes then they can absolutely file a a complaint and if they have based on what they've seen okay of complaint with with who well whoever is indicated in the policy to receive those complaints Ah, whether it's hr or you know leadership or management i I can Um, feel the lead the listeners taking notes going do we have a policy on that Right. <laughs> well, they should. Uh, I don't know where your listeners are located, but in most occupational health and safety legislation, there are five areas of responsibility that employers have. They have to conduct hazard assessments through the lens of understanding of these complex issues of workplace abuse. So workplace bullying, sexual harassment, domestic violence, as it affects the workplace. That's a whole other call another yeah, time. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, they have to have procedures uh procedures and and policies in place that people can be able to go and access at any time. They should be, they should know where they are and they should know how to access them. And within those policies and procedures, they have to have someone named that is responsible for receiving formal complaints. They should have complaint forms. They should have outlines in their policies and procedures about not only who receives that complaint, but what to expect, you know, um, how to have that conversation with uh, with the complainant and with the respondent because procedural fairness dictates that the respondent is given all of access to all of the evidence against them and given time to formulate a response. And they have to investigate every single claim that is made either by hiring an outside investigator, which costs between ten and twenty thousand dollars. So, you know, it's it's better to avoid it if you can and get your get your culture right to begin with. And they have to provide support to those that are experiencing uh, or have experienced workplace abuse. These are legislated 
yeah. items that must be occurring under occupational health and safety. Where can people get some of that information from? Uh, well, you know, the occupational health and safety for your area. I don't know where your listeners well, are located. All over so. Canada. All over Canada. So, you know, do a Google search, occupational health and safety for, for your province. Yeah. I know, you know, most of them all have workplace violence and harassment um, legislation in place now to protect people that work. And, and the reason you want to get on that is because if someone has a complaint and they work with someone like me, who's going to tell them what their employer responsibilities are and what their workplace rights are and what to do if their employer does not uh, do what they're supposed to do, they can end up facing fines. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, nobody wants that either, especially in the nonprofit sector. You know, there's not a lot of there's never um, well, often not enough budget overrun to, to pay for some of these things. So, and it can be so costly and it's, you know, it's always much more uh, efficient fiscally to, to be proactive rather than reactive. So what is it that you do with organizations? Do you come in to do the, the proactive stuff? Ideally, yeah, that's what I love to do. Um, I love to work with organizations and help them get their ducks in a row that way, you know, um, start with that end in mind. What what kind of day-to-day operations do you want? Do you feel like that's happening right now? Do those surveys and find out where they're at right now and um, celebrate those areas where they're doing good things because there's always lots of areas where they're doing good things. And then, you know, just come up with a strategy within the means that they have to address the areas that they're not. You know, sometimes it's simple as having that conversation on expected and prohibited conduct. Yeah. Yeah. People don't necessarily recognize what they're doing is workplace abuse. Well, and that comes back to leaders being vulnerable and open to having those conversations. They're yeah, and sometimes. having that transformational willingness as well. That's key. Yeah. You know, if they think that there's, you know, there's three myths I talk about that that they tell themselves that it doesn't apply to them that it's not occurring. And given the prevalence of the numbers, it's not an if, it's a when, Um, that their policies and procedures are good enough. And, you know, that it's too expensive to to make any changes or or conduct any training. And that's not necessarily true. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I feel like I just want to keep digging deeper and deeper because there's so much here. Yeah, there really is. We could probably talk all day, but no one's going to want to listen to us all day. (laughs) Well, actually they are. They're probably going, keep going, keep going. Because I, again, I think just like you said a minute ago, you know, oh, our policies are good enough. And now I think people are second guessing, are they good enough? And they probably were good enough five years ago. And as you said, things have changed. Cultures are changing. Leaders are changing. Expectations of employer or employees are changing. And it's time to sort of move along and really get clearer and create that safe space. And again, I think because it all comes back to purpose. If you don't have that psychologically safe environment, if your team isn't thriving, you're not meeting the needs of your clients and your community and doing the work that your heart is meant to do. 
No. And, and, you know, I think there are a lot of people working in organizations that aren't working to their full potential either. You know, they're playing small because either they're afraid to, to bring their whole selves to work or, or, you know, they're just not that engaged because they're not being treated fairly, but just imagine what a workplace would look like where everybody, you know, can, can Uh. reach their potential, you know, they're, they're encouraged to do that, you know, um, I've worked for enough. uh, I've had some great bosses, but I can't say that I've ever worked for an organization that was completely psychologically safe. I've never felt that in an organization. Yeah. That I've worked in, you know, but but that's your lifelong mission. Is that the the case that you create? (laughs) I'm very passionate about the work that I do and I, I believe in its importance. And I, I really, at my core, Kathy, I really believe that employers always want to do the right thing. They're just not always sure how. And they're not always sure, you know, how to get started with it. And it just sometimes can seem too big. People are busy, you know, they're working to capacity a lot of the time. And they just, you know, it's just something that just keeps getting pushed. And, you know, we're in these disrupted times right now with COVID, we're, we're kind of pivoting often <laughs> and priorities change. And yeah, so it's, it's not always top of mind, but it, you know, it needs to be not only for the liability implications, but the workforce is changing. You know, millennials and Gen Z, they are less likely to put up with the toxic status quo. They will work really hard for organizations that support them and support the things that are important to them, but they're not going to uh, put up with um, some of the toxicity that some of, you know, the older generations have had to tolerate. I think you're right. I think we just tolerate toxic cultures far too long. Yeah. And, and, you know, sometimes, well, just from a relational standpoint, you know, um, if someone is in a job where it's sucking their soul, I mean, you talk about soul, filling your soul and and sucking their soul every day. And, you know, they go into that environment just to put food on the table for their family, that is the worst feeling in the world because they feel stuck in that situation. You know, our economy is not that, that strong right now. They might feel that they don't have a choice, but to stay in that position. And they're, they're feeling they're being exploited, whether they see it for what it is or not. Um, That's a form of exploitation that their employer is, is putting upon them. All right. Well, we'll stop there before we keep going. Tell everybody where they can find you, Ruthann. Yeah, I'd love to hear from some of your listeners. I, I I always like to connect. So I'm on very active on LinkedIn because I'm business to business primarily. So Ruthann Ruthann Weeks R U T H A N N W E E K S. Reach out to me there. My business is called Harmony in the Workplace. My website is harmonyintheworkplace.com. And yes, please reach out to me. I've just launched Harmony Academy. Mm. If I can talk about that for a couple yeah, of minutes. Yeah, go for it. Absolutely. I'm launching with three programs. 2020 was very quickly about getting material out online. And the first one is called Level Up Work Safer. And it really talks about all of it's a seven and a half hour 
Um, it is it really digs into each of the areas of workplace abuse and does a very good job, thorough job defining those, mm-hmm. what those look like, how they display in the workplace, the profile of a target, the profile of a bully, risk escalation factors, and then it gets into best practices around creating those prevention plans, those policies and procedures. Right doing those hazard assessments, and then talks about industry best practices in investigations and what that should look like and providing support to those that are experiencing. So all those five areas uh, that are legislated really gets into those. And it's, it's a good, concise yet comprehensive course. There's a lot of material there. Well, it sounds like you've covered a lot of bases. And I know some of the listeners are going, tell me where to get that. And we will put those links in the notes. Everything will be in the notes. And yeah, I think it's really important for first to increase that awareness. And I think we've started that in our conversation today, but there's so much more. And I think people need to dig a little bit deeper, make sure that they are taking care of themselves so that they can take care of their team, create that psychological safe environment. And that's, again, I mean, I talk about from surviving to thriving, get out of survival Mm -hmm. mode, move to thriving in both your leadership and your life. And we all deserve that. You know, we all do. We do. All right. Thank you so much for being here, Ruthann. Yeah, my pleasure. And thank you for having me. And thank you for the important work you're doing in the world as well, Kathy. Oh, thank you so much. Okay. If you found today's episode helpful, then you are going to love the training library. Many women leaders in nonprofits wish that they had a coach or a mentor to help them, but they don't believe that they or their organization can afford it. Oh, but you can. Inside of the Training Library membership site, you will not only get access to affordable and easily accessible ongoing personal and professional development training, you will also have access to a leadership coach at your fingertips. That way, when you hit those inevitable challenges that leadership will bring your way, you'll have both the resources and the support to navigate your way through them with confidence, composure, and while keeping your integrity intact. To find out more, head to kathyarcher.com slash library. If you are enjoying the show, I'd love it if you could leave me a comment or a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Go make the rest of your day awesome. Awesome.